Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. No, no. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. And you like to have fun, right? Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host, Gut Check Project, Eric Rieger, joined by this guy, master host number two, only because I said it two times in a row. Anyway, oh, sorry. I thought I was the second second host here, but that's great. You are master host number one. That I'm master host number two. Anyway. No, I'm happy to be master host number four <laughs> in this case because we've got some masters in the house today, and this is going to be such a cool show. What we're going to be talking about today is incredible. It's going to be super, well, we will make sure that it's not too scientific, but it's about using psychedelics, using therapy, using traditional medicine to help people with all kinds of problems, PTSD, depression, ADHD. It's so cool. I'm To talk about being excited for this show is a little bit of an understatement. You've been uh, pretty pumped about I've been today super for a while. Pumped. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is great. So let me introduce our guest. To my left, I have Teresa Marie. She is a certified coach and specialist in mind medicine. She has a master's degree in organizational psychology from John F. Kennedy University and has a Dallas practice treating clients with PTSD, ADHD, depression, and anxiety. The combination of various medicines, including psychedelics and traditional, and integration therapy helps clients transform their conscious state of being. David received his BSEE from Rice University with a focus on biomedical engineering. He completed his MD from Southwestern Medical School in Dallas. He is a board-certified anesthesiologist. David has received additional training in functional medicine. He specializes in the safe and effective use of non-traditional medicines and therapies for the treatment of PTSD, addiction, depression, anxiety, ADHD, and overall mental wellness. With David's extensive medical and scientific knowledge and Teresa's deep insights into consciousness, along with their combined experience, the duo engage and educate both the public as well as both the mental health and the general medical community. Welcome to the Gut Check Project. Thank you. We're excited. Thank you. It's great to be here. Eric and I have danced around the topics. We've dabbled in it because we know a little bit. We've got some experts in this. This is awesome. I will hand it off to you, David, right away. How did you get involved with this? Well, this has been <clears throat> interesting. I've kind of been through the most, I can say I've been seen things from both sides, been the most conservative, most, oh, drug, every, every drug is bad. You shouldn't do this, this, and this. It wasn't until my two-year younger brother had trouble with drugs and alcohol, and he'd been through so many therapies that just weren't working. And my, my parents had spent so much time uh, trying to treat him and rehabs and everything. And finally, and I wish I could remember the details of, of how I came across it, we came across um, entheogenic or psychedelic therapy, which at that time, 
as little as I knew was simply um, psilocybin or magic mushrooms. And in a couple of treatments, now there's a whole lot more to than just giving people a drug. There's, there's, you have to do it in the right way in the right setting and such. But I saw such a change and he, I saw Ken, who's really was a brilliant person. He was just doing a lot of dumb, dumb things. Say, say it was one day when he said, David, how is it that these, that we serve alcohol to people everywhere and it's killing so many people and yet these things are illegal. So that just sort of inspired me not only to research that a little bit, to research the whole history of how did that, how did that even come about? Plus to delve into the history of other substances that we, we, you know, look at what we do with tobacco and alcohol and, and such. These things are, are, um, you know, we have, I think it's, you know, one person per hour dies of some sort of alcohol related, um, uh, up, you know, whether it's a car crash or a slow, pain, painful death in some way, every individual, uh, whether you drink or not, spends on av- the cost to society is $1,000 per year per person, which amounts to $2 per drink based on 500 drinks per year per person, even if you don't drink. That's the, that's the average. So just to look at this thing, that's a third of a trillion. Nothing's keeping track. Yeah. <laughs> <A> third, <laughs> but, but basically, we have a third of a trillion dollars that goes into a drug that would be classified truly as a class one drug. No, no acceptable medical use, highly addictive, toxic. Neurotoxic. Yeah, and basically a gateway drug for other things. And yet these other, thing, these other chemicals are incredibly useful, and we classify them as, as useless. Schedule one, no so use. So that, that puzzled me, and that's been, so that started the, the journey. So not just to focus on your brother, but you sure. said that it was him that kind of brought your awareness that there could be a different therapy. So Absolutely. who introduced him to the psilocybin? Well, and I did the I did the research, I'll, and as as little as I knew, which was I'm not kidding. Back then, we're talking about a ten thousandth of what I know. When is back then? Now, well, about seven years ago, okay, or so. And just seeing that little change, and now thinking, well, I needed it needed to happen many years earlier because he had already had a lot of liver trouble, and unfortunately, he did succumb to his his alcohol problem only Sorry because of yeah, only because of uh, you know he had a lot of uh, medical problems at that point. But seeing that, wow, this is something that could have could have helped and we just we've outlawed the cure for yet another poison that we just we market at every at every opportunity so it's sort of this this um paradox of yeah and we're not <laughs> anti-alcohol sure absolutely in, in, we're just in saying, legitimate amounts right it's just that some people take anything too far and you can take yeah. aspirin too far it's just yeah no like and this, absolutely i'm not as, as Teresa commonly says i'm not the alcohol police i'm not the cannabis police i'm not anything it's just that Certain drugs in certain ways can be, you know, just don't have a lot of. Uh, it's just that some yeah. drugs have legal status and others do not. Right. And some are much more helpful for the chronic conditions that our society has. And we're going to get deep into all this. Sure. Teresa Marie, how did you end up here? So I ended up here. I, I, I met David at a psychedelic meetup and um, I had gotten back from Peru and I had done San Pedro, which is mescaline. And I had an amazing experience. I had done ayahuasca before and determined really it wasn't my drug. Uh, it's plenty of people's drug, but it definitely isn't my drug. And San Pedro was like, oh, my God. And I just found it amazing and life transforming. And I said, ah, there is so much to this around psychedelics. And so we partnered up and we did a lot of research and we started practicing on people and we started learning an awful lot of ways to mitigate an awful lot of chronic conditions 
that people were having and people are having amazing success. And I would say that psychedelics are truly a boon for a reason. I think there's a tremendous amount of drug development money put towards this. So right now there's about $300 billion being invested in psychedelic research. So it's huge. There are a lot of companies that are going under and things like that, but there are also a lot that um, are going to be able to come up with solutions that really change people's lives. And do they help everyone? No, but they, 88% of people who take psychedelics would say their life is transformed by these substances. Sure. So that's a lot. Well, you and you said, does one size fit all, basically? And the answer is no. Correct. And uh, what I found to be really, just kind of set the stage on what we're talking about on here. You said that y'all practice on people. So let's just get it out of the way. We're in Texas. There is uh, some legislative action that occurred. Could y'all describe the bill that we were talking about just before we got the cameras rolling and then what, how sure. that applies to y'all and how people yeah. can come and talk to you? Sure. There's a House Bill 1802, which you can Google, Google it. It lists um, ibogaine, psilocybin, MDMA. They list ketamine, although ketamine is already illegal, so I don't know how that got on there. But nonetheless, in the treatment of veterans for a list of, a, and they have a but list PTSD. of conditions. I think it's, is it just PTSD? It is or just whatever? PTSD. And so as much say, as they'd like to say depression and anxiety, but it's pretty easy to get a PTSD diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody has trauma. Um, that is, that's their, kind of the root yeah. of everything. The collective term PTSD encompasses what tends to cause, you know, in other words, depression, anxiety, ADHD, and such are an addiction or a manifestation of the collective term trauma, which isn't, it doesn't really have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be like we, you saw your best friend get blown up and, you know, or, or something horrible. You were, you were molested when you were a kid. Those, there are, those are, there are truly terrible things that happen to people. But it can just be, everybody has stuff that happens. And collectively, we use that term trauma. So just to be aware, you know, because people tend to grab onto that term and say, that's not trauma. Well, trauma is collectively what, you know, as per Bessel van der Kolk, uh, we've, we've discussed that in detail. He's one of the um, trauma persons is, that- Trauma is really behind a core of many, many sub-symptoms like depression, anxiety, ADHD. They all stem from trauma. So a lot of times people will think, so these are more subclassifications. So if you said, oh, um, I have, you, wait, you have irritable bowel. Okay, but that, that's a subset of other conditions. So uh, it's the same thing with mental conditions. When you have your clients, how many of those people have never thought that trauma was the root cause of their anxiety, OCD, ADHD, things like that? Is this a new concept, like when you introduce it to them? Yeah, it is. And it's it's actually, if you look at the psychiatric congresses that are happening now, those conferences, they're all indicating this. And they're basically saying, um, wow, depression is really just inflammation. And wow, ADHD is just a symptom of trauma. Depression and anxiety is just a symptom of unresolved trauma. And they can result that back and that once that trauma is resolved, suddenly the depression, the anxiety, the ADHD, all those things go away. So they're indicating basically, mm, maybe we should limit this instead of the diagnostic codes being all of these diagnoses and all these sub-diagnoses. 
How about one core diagnosis? It's a little bit like saying, oh, you've got belly pain. Well, let's, let's figure out what's causing that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can, let's go a little bit deeper. Is your gallbladder or your, your, your stomach, your intestines, something, your even referred pain from your spine. It, there are a lot of things going on. It's like looking, looking at the next level down. And these, we hear these things from not just, this isn't just hearsay or, or rumor. This is from top psychiatrists. We just got back from the, something called Psych Congress 2023 in uh, Nashville where we heard some of the top people in the world say, you know, we were so excited when Prozac came, I think it was 1986 came out and we just went running with that. And we were, you know, and it did, I'm not to diss SSRIs. They can do, some of them can do a, a little bit for a while, but those were, those drugs when they came out were all meant to be, to go for about three months. And guess what? People are on them for, I had a patient once that was, was on, had been on Prozac, and this was a year ago, since it came out. So that's like wow. 35, 35 40, years. Something like that. And it's just, they aren't meant to be used that way. They imagine they they just sort of, well, Teresa can describe it. She does a good job of this, but dumb your 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 brain down to a gray level where you're never really you're never really working on the root root problem. And so you don't want to slit your wrists anymore, but, you but you're not really getting better. So you go through life kind of in a gray zone. And so, um, and gray eventually doesn't work for people and then they need an additional thing and then they need a mood stabilizer mm -hmm. and then they need an anti-anxiety med. And then now I need something to sleep and now I need MAOI. And, you know, if you look at all these things and I, I need trazodone, I need, so they, suddenly you, you look at them and they're taking eight drugs. And if you got to the core of their symptoms, I can't tell you how many people we have gotten off every drug. and they would say their life is rich and full and they might microdose a mushroom three days a week, or they might microdose LSD for their ADHD when their symptoms kick up and they'll say the rest of the time they don't need anything. And we'll say, oh, let's see, L LSD is actually good for the neurochemistry. It actually supports serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. It actually increases levels of all of them. And you can do a functional analysis of the brain before use and after use, and you can watch those levels increase. Mm -hmm. And this is with the functional MRI. And when you look at those, those things, yet, you know, the government would say, mm, there's no substantial use for this. There's no good use for this. And I would say there is great use for this. LSD was used in psychiatrists' office for 11 years and it was used, it was the number one thing to treat addiction. And it was successful 88% of the time. And then when we had the Vietnam War and everybody was taking orange sunshine and people were saying, make love, not war, the government said, well, if we can't control the people and they don't want it and they're dodging the draft and they don't want what power and control that we want them to do and they can't believe the story that we want them to believe about Vietnam then we have to make all of these illegal. And that's what transformed so much because these drugs were being used repeatedly. Right. And we're going to stop this particular podcast for a special invitation. This invitation is to join the Gut Check Project Raw Locals community. We all are tired of the bullshit where we turn for great information, who we can trust, and essentially we want to put a stop to that. There's a lot of bullshit out there, and I know about that because I'm a butt doctor. We're here to build this community to bring trust back to you. 
There is a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of stuff being censored, and it stops here with our community. And I'm a gas passer, which means I put this guy's patience to sleep. I know that you don't want to be filled up with any hot air. Ultimately, we want you to connect with us. Ask us questions. Let's build a community around trust. No more bullshit. So if you're watching or listening on Rumble, click that red join button in the bottom right over here, and that will take you directly to GCP Raw. We're super excited for you to join. I mean, seriously, it's going to be pretty cool. It is going to be, dude, it is going to be cool, but it's hot as hell in here right now. Are we done? Should we just walk off? That's Paul, that's it. Yeah, LSD basically was, was quote, invented um, in 1943, and it was kind of reinvented in 1945 by Albert Hoffman in Switzerland or Germany. Um, and set with Sandoz Pharmaceutical, and he kind of discovered it. It's so potent, he sort of discovered it accidentally when he got some. Though the story goes, he got some on his hand or his finger or something and had a really crazy day, and the next day he took a what he thought was a small dose, a quarter milligram, which turns out to be a pretty, a pretty hefty, trippy dose of LSD. Mm -hmm. And from there on, I think the next day he got everyone at the company to try it, which you wouldn't see that these days, but that's the way you did science back then. Hey, yeah. this is, we know this worked. We didn't kill anybody. It's an amazing experience. So the next thing they knew, they had a new drug and they spent, it was called Delicid. It was 100, 100 micrograms in a vial. And the next, for the next 20 years, it was basically given away free around the world to anyone who could claim to have a semi-legitimate use for it in terms of research. And there were, I believe it's over about 1,500 um, peer-reviewed papers that came out with really, I, you know, obviously I haven't reviewed them all, but really no down, downside in terms of, bad, you know, bad um, reactions and, and so forth. There were three, I think, three international conferences just on the use of LSD for addiction and other, and other ailments. And basically, that you don't, you, don't, you don't get taught that in medical school about psychiatry. I mean, that would be very significant to at least know that, but we never, heard, we never even heard that. So that all got shut down by Nixon with the, with the creation of the, the uh, DEA and the Controlled Substances Act and Right around 1970-ish. That's incredible. 1943. Right. Exactly. And you realize the research was rampant in the 60s on LSD. LSD was very well researched. And in Europe, patients had the option of morphine or LSD. And three out of four chose LSD over morphine because they said at the doses that they were given, these hallucinations are so much better than what I get from morphine. And it relieves pain, phenomenal. High doses of LSD relieve pain as well as morphine or any opioid. Now, not functional, not a functional amount where you can go through your day. So I promise you, you can't take a microdose. People ask me this all the time. You can't take a microdose of LSD and function through the day. Well, maybe but you can take a high dose of LSD once a week. Mm -hmm. And for most people, it eliminates their pain for five days. All right, so I'm the I'm the general public. We've said this a couple times. You're referring to microdose. Can you explain dosing a little bit and what that actually means? Because that term is being thrown out right, socially exactly. all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. So obviously, talk about can of worms. That could certainly be one. Um, it's a general. The term microdose is a general term that's used to describe a, for lack of a better word, a sub, like trippy or a full, perceptual. a full on perceptual. Um, dose of typically what we call a psychedelic, which there are various class, classes of psychedelics. So that dose would typically be 
anywhere from a tenth to a fortieth of the full dose, and that could pertain to LSD or mushrooms or mescaline or even ibogaine and you know some of the ayahuasca. Uh, yeah, ayahuasca, ayahuasca, which is DMT plus a, mm-hmm. an MAOI. So basically, the term microdose is, is given to describe a very low. Some people would say it's a subperceptual dose. I would say it borders on perceptual because that's part of the benefit is you're feeling, you're going, it's something that you might feel, you take it and you might feel it in, in two hours and not even think, you might've forgotten you took it, but now you go, oh, this is nice. Well, I'm more focused. I'm more energetic. I can get a lot of stuff done. So similar, I guess, to what people might say on, you know, Adderall or the other stimulants. And those are wonderful drugs used in the right way, but they tend to give people sometimes a little bit of an edgy non- well, I guess the term we use, which you'll hear a lot in uh, psychedelics, is intactogenic, which means heart opening. So, the, mm. you know, the heart chakra is very important in, in psychedelic therapy. And we like it when we can kind of open that. It makes, makes people more empathetic, more caring, more, under, you know, like I care about you just because I care about, I do, and I care about others. So it's a, there's nothing, you know, bad to say about some of the, some of the general concepts of how these, these drugs work in terms of that that feeling. But um, with regard to microdose, they're, they're typically taken um, maybe every third day or so, although there are protocols to take, to take on a daily basis. Um, we could get into all kinds of details yeah. on that. Do you have any Yeah, some people, if, if they have been on antidepressants for a long time or um, um, bipolar medications, and I'm not against all bipolar medications, lithium can be extremely effective. And it can also be very neuroprotective in the right amounts, which are not typically the prescription amounts. But I am just indicating that not all meds are we against, and some of them are extremely effective for certain conditions. But when you're looking at microdosing, uh, whether you're dealing with psilocybin, whether you're microdosing mushrooms or a product that we tend to like a lot better because it tends to be, um, it's called 4-ACO. Measurable. You know. 4-ACO? Yes. 4-ACO DMT. It's a prodrug for psilocin, which is the drug that psilocybin, psilocybin. turns into, and psilocybin is the active drug of ma- mm-hmm. magic mushrooms, if that makes sense. Well, I'm going to just tell Eric <laughs> right now, you're going to run this podcast because I'm taking notes on everything. I'm learning new words, theogenic, <laughs> intactogenic, 4-ACO. This yeah. is... I'm new to this. This is awesome. And so um, for a lot of people, it's very, very effective. And what happens for them is over time, um, it balances their neurochemistry. So then you find that they will be able to say like, oh, I can microdose three days a week. And then I can microdose two days a week. Or I only need to microdose on a bad day. Mm -hmm. And they will find that that really makes a huge difference. A lot of people with ADHD will rotate between LSD one day and a stimulant the next day, or they will, and they will find that, okay, uh, this is better for these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And this is better for these kind of things. So it doesn't mean that we're completely getting people off all ADHD meds. It depends on the situation, but we find most of them, not all, but most of them prefer these and that these are healthy for them versus ones that tend to have side effects or maybe cause insomnia later on or maybe cause them to need to increase dosing over time. 
Something, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, and I'll I'll add this because it comes up, and this is really a factor that, you know, occurs to me every once in a while, and I'll share with you, is that having control over your medicines as a patient is huge. You can imagine both of you. Imagine, rather than just saying, I got to take this every day, I just pop one every day. If you can say, you know, this worked a little bit, I like this mixture, I can do this, you're not going to hear a lot of doctors say, well, take this, you know, maybe take this when you feel like this and try this, try this mixture and tell me what works. But how would that make you feel if you were given the option rather than saying, you got to take this medicine here, see me, see you in three months. Let's see how you do. Well, oh, that's not working. We'll double the dose. You know, oh, that's not working. We'll change to another med rather than saying, these are what we find work, work for most people. You have the option of taking a little this and a little this. And, and it's just remarkable that having, would you agree that having, having the control I think is huge for patients because finally they're in control. So, you know, another way to be in control of their health rather than just saying, Hey, I, I got to take a medicine. It's just a chronic thing. I don't know if I'm ever going to be off of it. I just, you know, it's just on my list. As you know, now with electronic health records, you see everything, right? All the meds right away. So you see, oh, this patient's on a statin and a, and a SSRI and a mood stabilizer and a sleep med and a, you know, a stimulant every once in a while. It's all, it's the same pattern over and over again. So having something that you can, Tweak yourself. Um, and patients, when we get them off of these meds, they don't miss them. They don't say, oh, you know, I was, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a, work, a little work. And coming off of SSRIs depends on the particular medication. There are, we know quite well which ones at which doses for which time, amount of time tend to have more, give us more trouble. And we have protocols for like, we kind of group people into three or four different groups. Some people, it's just, Taper and discontinue some. It's taper a little bit. If you need something, we give a beta blocker, a, a propranolol typically. It's the most lipid soluble of all the beta blockers. It's super inexpensive and it works for a little bit of anxiety. Sometimes we add a very low dose of some sort of an entheogen. And by the way, as I will mention. Entheogen? Yeah, which is, it would include the, like, the tryptamine psychedelics. Is, Got it. And by the way, as Teresa mentioned, the 4-ACO is conveniently, it's a so-called research chemical. So it's not specifically listed as a uh, banned substance. So not to get into too many. Let's see. I we have an in-studio audience and, and as we do here, sure. they, they get a chance to ask some questions. So uh, Rachel has asked a question. What? Oh, okay. Um, can psychedelics be an addition not to substitute? Uh, not um, absolutely. And that, that is, what yeah, was what well, was the question? Well, can can psychedelics be a, an addition, not necessarily a substitute? And that's I want, as Teresa mentioned, it to be very clear. We're absolutely. This is so amazing because we can we can we can have the best of both worlds. We don't have to get rid of. We're not saying get rid of all prescription meds. We're saying let's not discount so, the other things we have available. So and let's use them all. In a, what in a I love safe way. is that you were trained traditional MD. Right got functional medicine training right, and now exactly. trained yourself in this field, yeah. which is a perfect bridge to yeah. marry the two. Well, here's, here's something that I kind of observe and I love the fact that we actually went on this uh, breakdown of how you both choose by what somebody is exhibiting before you decide sure. how you're going to help them. Because what happens, I think, especially right in present day with pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry, it's hammer nail syndrome. Right. You got it. Absolutely. They've got a hammer. And -hmm. depending upon which rep or which drug is the most favored, if they're depressed, they're all going to get this. If they, I mean, it, that's, that's really kind of how it works. And if you really look the therapeutic ranges for someone to get an SSRI or whatever the drug happens to be, they just go to the pharmacy and there's very little bandwidth between 
low dose, mid dose, and high range. And everybody must fit in this mm -hmm. little bitty pocket. And they're going to do it every day at this time. And it just go, and you're just yeah. going to come back and see me. And what I hear y'all say is, actually, you're going to coach. You're going to coach and your patient to go home and say, right. these are the things you need to recognize. These are the things that sure. you need to be cognizant of that if they happen or if they don't happen, yeah. this is what you do, what you don't do. And you don't get that kind of coaching or intimate. Right. And that's a huge growth. part of the treatment. And, that, and as I've told Teresa, we, we, when we take someone on as a, a client or patient, however you want to describe, it's, it's a partnership. Because if they sure. I describe we, client, <laughs> he describes patient. And the reason why I describe client yeah. is because client implies not fully medically licensed. So, so you can avert some of the, some right. of the onerous uh, aspects mm -hmm. of medicine. Well, I'm saying is we, medicine. exactly. We, we we really do form a partnership. We really do care about these people. It's like I want to know if you know if something's got not not going right. Because it's a feeling of if you know if they they fail, we fail. So we don't want to. We don't like failing. So we like being. I'm you know as you don't either. I know in your business, Ken, you you really have a firm you know amazing bond with your you know I got to figure this out because you you know what it's like to have patients who are not who are struggling with a lot of these these problems digestive disorders. But yes. we we do. But as I mentioned earlier, Eric, we do a, we start off by doing a full kind of integrative um, medicine approach to look at their, the, what we call kind of the pillars of, of, of health, right? So nutrition, exercise, sleep, and all the other stressors and things going on in your life. What have you, what's your experience with, some people have had some experience with entheogens, some people have not. So what is your experience? How did you do on these? Um, have you had, what kind of therapy have you had from a psychological point of view? What, what was your experience with this med or this med or, you know, this therapist or this, what worked for you and didn't. So before we even look at anything, we're kind of trying to do a full intake. And these days I hated it at first, but now I love the electronic medical system. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's, it is wonderful because, you know, it's a place where all your information is there. You can have patients fill out forms and you can also look at objective. We, right now we have objective, um, we, we have a uh, scoring system. We sell, send out people that evaluates anxiety, depression, trauma, and um, ADHD. And there's, there's one more I can't remember. The GAD, GAD and the PHQ and the, I forget them all. But we have, so we can actually look at how are they doing over, over time and, and get some objective information as to, you know, because it's not, not that we're trying to do a study, but everybody's different. They don't fit into a particular study right now that we're doing, but at least we're able to look at, you know, and see how people are doing over over time, which is important because that's why they, they came to us. Everything you've mentioned though, every therapy that you've talked about that y'all both mentioned happens to be rather cost-effective compared to the pharmaceutical industry. And on top of that, yeah. both of y'all have mentioned what does it take for someone to come in, seek treatment, and then migrate away. Sure. And oftentimes now the experience is I'm having this type of problem, this type of ailment, and then they fall into a prescription situation which is actually four anesthesia providers yeah. in here we could yeah. all see we've seen uh -huh. the mar when people show up and yeah. it's just grows over time it right. never shrinks and that's that's you're absolutely right you go you know how we, we have a new doctor every year what do they do they go oh you're on lexapro okay here's your lexapro oh you're on this here's your this and then they they never they, i'm sure they they may do a little evaluation but who has time for that so it's more or less I have people all the time that cannot even remember while they're while they're on something. Like I'm on yeah. Lexapro. I guess I was depressed. Why are you taking it now? I, I don't know. I've, 
seem like I'm doing pretty good. Have you thought about tapering it? And, no, I guess I could. I guess you could. You're right. <laughs> and these are just why I'm doing pre-ops for, for surgery. I'm not trying to talk them into anything. I'm just saying, <laughs> saying here, do you ever consider getting off some of these meds that you, you don't feel like you are doing you any good? And they, you know, just said, that's not the place to talk about today, but I will suggest sometimes to have, you know, think about it, you know, talk to your primary care doctor and, you know, you know what is, I think, super exciting about you two, and you're blazing a field here because this is, you're developing protocols, you're keeping track of this, you're seeing what works. Yeah. Teresa, you and I have talked about where you're, you're like, we will use multi-modalities in this, yeah. and, and we'll get into that in a second. But one of my biggest fears right now, and Eric and I have discussed this, that the way that hospital systems are basically controlling doctors and giving them protocols and saying that the protocol, you're going to do this, mm -hmm. yeah. you take away the critical thinking from a young new right. doctor. This is opening up a whole new door where if they start looking at it, they can start critically thinking from a physiologic standpoint, what's going on in the brain, the neurochemistry, yeah. work your way back. I don't just have to knee jerk and give this SSRI, this Right. Um, you know, uh, antipsychotic, which is now being used for sleep or antipsychotic right. that's being used for this. And this poor, you know, 14 year old young girl is now ballooned up 60 pounds because somebody's given her yeah. Seroquel. I have that exact thing. Just yesterday, a patient was on a huge dose just for sleep. And it's like, oh my gosh, I got to get him off that before we can even. And that's half of our battle most of the time is I spending, spending a few months getting, you know, the treatment's easy once we get them. And sometimes we have to ease into another medication to slightly mitigate the downside of the, the so-called withdrawal. You talk about addictive drugs. Some of the, the uh, traditional psychiatric drugs, the SSRIs and the mood stabilizers are, are uh, you can't come off them Very too easily. Sure. Let me ask you a, a clinical question uh, because we, on our last podcast, we actually discussed this uh, the, the, with Martha Rosenberg. We were talking about in every other, and when we look at almost everything, there is a give and take. So if I take a PPI mm -hmm. and I decrease my gastric acid, my gastrin hormone goes yeah. up because it's trying to compensate. Right. And when you're having a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, that the, the brain over time probably does not produce enough serotonin because it's like, well, we got enough right in this synapse. And this is and where- Absolutely. That's exactly what happens. And that's what, if you ever ask someone to just to come off it, guess what happens? They have a- you got it. You have to taper. And what happens when you flood? They originally thought that, and they hypothesized that that and it was wonderful. If we can, we can say that depression is just a lack of no, it's not a lack, just a lack of serotonin. When they actually did the, when they finally in the nineties, sometime in the nineties, they were actually able to do some of the analysis, and they said sometimes people with depression have more serotonin. It's not. Really? It's just the way it is. So it's not just it's not a chemical imbalance. Imbalance. Although chemicals. When we shake things up a little bit in the brain, we can give people certain kinds of insights. So I'm not saying it, that they, they can work in some, or a little bit in some situations, but Eric, you'll appreciate this from a, uh, anesthesia, uh, as an anesthesia provider. Think of the way succinylcholine works. It's a, paral a neuro neuromuscular paralyzing drug. We give it, and it is not an antagonist. It's actually a stimulator of musculature, but we give a whopping dose. What does it do? The patient goes, out. Goes, goes flaccid. And yeah. that's the way that, we, that's kind of the, I just kind of made this up today, but it's a great analogy because it's kind of the way SSRIs tend, tend to work. You're, you're actually just flooding the synapse with a little more serotonin or, or norepinephrine, and it's not really being given in the appropriate, in the appropriate ways, I don't know, I guess, uh, from a, you know, a 
neurotransmission point of view. Um, but it's a, uh, it's what happens is you don't have the, I guess you call it the dynamic range of your serotonin has been diminished significantly. So you can't go as high and you can't go as, as low. So as Teresa mentioned earlier, maybe you don't feel like killing yourself, but you know, if you stay on that forever, you're, you're in this gray zone that pretty soon you're not, you're not getting a lot out of that either. So, so. Uh, and to your point, there's a lot of folks who describe long-term SSRI and then really what you said, Teresa, when you said that there's usually a trauma is the root cause of why someone's having or experiencing depression or any of these other, you know, symptoms. Ultimately, they could have been on an SSRI or something similar like that for years. And in the end, they've never had to process the trauma. Exactly. And so ultimately, this has only held them captive. They've become dependent upon this drug that really has shielded them from the opportunity to allow their brain to think about whatever it is they need to think about. And there's not really been anybody to show them an avenue to achieve dealing with that trauma. You said it. That's perfect. What is that? What is that statement? Dealing with the pain now is way easier than living a life because eventually you're going to die with the pain anyways. So just do that. But that's a really good point. They're being held captive by these drugs. Well, and, um, people self-medicate in a lot of ways. Uh, guess so what whether they just... they're, you know, self-medicating with alcohol or cannabis or um, a, a ton of other drugs. There's a lot of drugs that people are using to self-medicate and they're not getting it. And all they're doing is just trying to bury it, just like cover it up and like push it down because I don't know what to do with it and I don't know how to resolve it. And there are, there are really great drugs that help you safely look at your trauma and process it with a qualified facilitator. Before we go through, because I, I, I want to take a journey. I want to oh, see yeah. for somebody to come in and, and see y'all. But before I we know do you want to take a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Uh, but um, the, the, uh, y'all talked about IBS earlier. Mm-hmm. And you talked about uh, sleep, and sometimes you you encounter someone who's already on Seroquel, whatever. What is it like to also tell them that, yes, you've come to visit with us, but we're not just going to tell you that these this list of, of medications that have normally been off limits are going to be afforded to you. In fact, I need you to eat well. I need you to get good sleep. I need you to consider... You know, uh, if you're a good methylator, whatever, whatever happens whatever. to be for someone to make sure they get good sleep, good rest, and good nutrition, how much does that play into the game plan for someone to have success? It plays a huge role, a huge role, because you realize that so many conditions are inflammatory conditions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, having, you know, and I'm a big proponent of the paleo diet, and the paleo diet tends to work unbelievably well for almost all mental conditions. So pretty much without, and we have vegetarians that might go this and I'll say, okay, well then make sure you have this kind of protein and then make sure that you eliminate this and you eliminate this and you eliminate this. And, and by the time they're done, it like, and shoot, sure enough, most of the vegetarians three months later are going, I'm not vegetarian anymore. I mean, I may just do collagen or I'm, but you know, look where collagen comes from. So I'll, those other go, but I feel so much better mm. or this is what's so much better. And so it's, it's a multi-pronged approach. And I always sit there and tell them, you know, the drugs give you the insight and the ability processing, but you still have to do the work. 
And uh, the whole point is that you're not moving from one crutch to another crutch. And, you know, people are always asking, well, aren't psychedelics really addictive? And I laugh and I go, as I said, you know, you'll be at a psychedelic conference and there'll be 500 people in the audience. And I go, how many of you want to take a big dose of LSD every single week? And and there's like no hands that shoot up. And how many of you want to do ayahuasca every fucking day? And they're like, no. How many of you want to do mescaline once a week? And, you know, none of them. How many of you wouldn't mind microdosing any of them? Hands shoot up. Okay. Nobody wants to OD on those medicines. Nobody wants to take them all the time. They all sit there and go, nope. That's a big journey. I need to set myself up. You know, there's some pleasant parts about it. There's some really, you know, great yeah, parts about work. it. It's and so work. And it's this, not is, always... this is a journey. It is not yeah. like, yep, I'm just going to pop this. Some people like MDMA too much, and that can be a problem. Mm. MDMA is probably the only of these drugs, and it is it, it will be legal in 2024, thanks an awful lot to the MAPS Foundation which has done, excuse me, my husband's running, a major job of working 30 years to get a drug that was legal, legal again. It is phenomenal for trauma for most people. Four doses as indicated to resolve 88% of of clinical trial participants' trauma. A year later, they will say they have no trauma. This Twelve percent do not this respond. This is like we're done. Can I, no. Just ask a really naive question: yeah. Is MDMA the same thing as ecstasy, like in yes. the eighties? When yes. okay, yes. just to say, it's just, to be clear, it's yeah. like if anyone ever, if you're, everyone ever offers you quote ecstasy, stay away because the, just saying that means they don't have a full understanding. That that name has been used to to cover a lot of different things, and then the times when it was a short shortage due to certain bans on things. People are throwing in caffeine and Adderall and cocaine and probably fentanyl these days. So you want to, it's not a thing, just, you know, using proper terminology is, like I said, it's, it's important in, in, in describing things. So we, we, we don't like to use, but you're, I I just, I'm just, but you're absolutely absolutely right. I'm playing naive here. It's not saying that something. But you said 88% four doses at a year. Yes. That is unbelievable in. In, in drug trial terms, that is sure. insanely is. effective. There is nothing like that, nothing like that available. And we have taken so many years and, you know, so much money, 300 million has been spent on the clinical trials to get all this done. And so it's, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, well, I have opinions about the dosing effect, but MDMA for trauma is phenomenal. And so um, it, you, you aren't going to find anything better that, that will work for most people. It doesn't work for everybody. MDMA, you do have to worry about serotonin syndrome, which is why it's very important. People are more concerned with serotonin syndrome, and deep down, most people on SSRIs or SNRIs actually have a reduced response. So you actually have to give them a higher dose to have the exact same experience. It would only be someone, and that is more the risk than anything else. That's where you'd need a beta blocker, blood pressure, because all of these get people's heart rate and blood pressure up. Sure. So those are things that all factors that you have to consider when you are doing an intake with somebody. 
So one of my questions was, oh, and Rachel, I'll get right to you. Um, uh, yeah, it's funny. That's, that's, that's a great actually one of the questions I was going to get to. Um, great question. Uh, but when... Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you were referencing MDMA and its use and the fact that it's going to be brought back, it actually reminded me of um, the comparison between when we were talking about hammer and nail syndrome earlier. Yeah. Uh, Will Butrin also had, and I don't know if they still have this trade name as much, but the same molecule at a different dose was called Zyban. Right. Mm -hmm. for smoking. Exactly. Yeah. Smoking yeah. cessation. And it turns out that the most successful program for stopping smoking is psilocybin. It was, and it was uh, Dennis McKenna was the one who shared that information with us when we were down in Austin. Oh yeah. And the smoking cessation program at six months was completely right. unmatched. I mean, it was, sure. I think at six months, it was well over 70%, but even at three months was 90%, no smoking. And Zyman was sure. not even close to that. And However, they had to keep taking it. They had to keep yeah, taking so it. That's the whole key. It doesn't change you. It just, and as a pharmaceutical a company, state. can you imagine, what I'm you only sell? selling you four doses of yeah. this. Yeah. And my product costs us $20 per dose. Sure. And I can market that um, at this price. And so when you look at it, it's not something that you're going to keep buying. Instead of saying, how about you'll have a lot of patients because deep down you help them cure their conditions and you leave they leave your practice because they're better. Well, Teresa, <laughs> I'm a pharmaceutical executive. Curing is not a good business model. I know. That's the problem. Yeah. Yes, well, I'm, I'm it, well aware. It isn't. And the, the worst part is, in my opinion, with Zyban, you're, the, the biological economic cost is far more because the psilocybin, basically, if I understand it correctly, is just mimicking serotonin, whereas... You know, Zyban, of course, is making the body yeah. produce it. Well, it's actually, yeah, Zyban, it's a it's NRI. It's, so it's a it's a slightly different, okay. but it, it works in a similar similar way. And I'd say in some ways it's less of a problem for us when people are on Wellbutrin or what'd you say? Not really. Well, Wellbutrin is easier to come off. Yeah, it's easier okay. to come so off. That's good. I would say, it's, I would because say. Because it's more. But it, but it definitely affects your dopamine also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so it's when a, you look at Wellbutrin, it's. Because norepinephrine and dopamine have more interaction than. Serotonin, the trip, trip. There's two kind of molecules. The what's called the phenethylamines, which are the, the drugs which are like, if, for instance, ephedrine, uh, phenylephrine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, and dopamine. Those are all typical uh, phenethylamines. And serotonin in the body, I believe, that may be the only tryptamine hormone we have, but there are different variations on it. But that's what the other, what's so-called classic uh, psychedelic mimic is serotonin. Mm -hmm. And there's there's subgroups of different serotonin receptors I won't get into, but depending on how they hit them can have more specific effects on your, the psyche. So, so and I would um, beg to differ with you. I would also say, so psilocybin, actually, if you take it on a microdose on a regular basis, mm -hmm. it will increase your serotonin levels. Oh, no, I, I oh, actually what I meant. Okay. I, okay. I was saying I was the, say, the depletion people, potentially, yeah. but yes, yeah. Yes, I was going to say it will do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, actually, okay. I felt like that psilocybin was a much safer option top it's to bottom. Much safer. Yeah. Um, so what Rachel had written earlier was just specifically yeah. talking about MDMA for couples therapy. And if we're going to talk about what it's like for someone to come and visit y'all, that might be someone potentially that could come and visit with y'all about MDMA for couples therapy. I want to get into that. Yeah, oh, you bet. 
really quick, but we belong to an entrepreneur group sure. that is very open-minded and a lot of the people have tried um, experiencing this. Sure. And so the way that they talk about their experience, ayahuasca, going down to Peru or wherever, and the shaman and these kind of things. So this is, as we talk yeah. about this, I want everyone to realize that this is like, if you've ever met somebody that did this and they had like a pretty awful experience before they got through their trauma, yeah. this is what's really cool about the journey of this, where if you're going to do couple therapy, so if this is not shaman the way that people have heard it before, because when we talked, I'm like, I heard this stuff is miserable. You, you, you shit yourself, you vomit for you know, eight hours and then That's you eventually... That's my experience. So there is, <laughs> there is nothing that I got from ayahuasca other than, oh, the suffering is high. The insight is low. It does not work like that for everybody. Right. And you don't have to go out of the country to do ayahuasca. There are plenty of sanctioned ayahuasca churches in this country. There's over 300 of them in the U.S. And you can go and they will do an intake on you, and most people lie about the medicines that they're taking because there's a lot of information online that if you're on a SSRI, you know, or you're on this, or you're on this medicine, or you're this medicine, you're going to get declined. So they just won't put that down. Mm. And usually there's just a little video, 10 or 15 minute video interview, and they just tell them what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. And then if somebody has a problem there, there's really not anyone to help them. And so um, uh, we believe in managing all aspects of an experience. So whether that's nausea, whether, I mean, there, look at anesthesia, there's plenty of really great medicines to manage nausea. There's plenty of great medicines to manage your blood pressure, your heart rate. There's plenty of medicines to handle anything that would happen, especially with MDMA. Some people get that down day the next day because people think it's always flooding the brain with serotonin. It also floods the brain with a lot of dopamine, a lot of dopamine. And you realize the best drugs for addiction deal with dopamine because the lack of dopamine is what makes you crave that next experience. Mm -hmm. You don't have enough of that satisfaction in your brain. Okay. So MDMA for couples therapy, when you're yes. talking about it, so when you're doing couples therapy, you always want to, you do a separate intake on both, of course, and you always want them to have a separate MDMA experience first because you are in such a safe, ecstatic space. You're able to say an awful lot of things. And some couples have secrets that maybe those should not be expressed in a certain scenario. And so when you get to see what does and doesn't come out, then you can say, hmm, how much of this do you want to share with your spouse or how much of this? And when they listen to their recording, so all of our sessions are recorded so they can hear back exactly what was said, because in a three-hour session, for instance, you remember parts of it, but you don't remember all of it. But when you're listening to yourself, you remember all of it. Mm -hmm. And so then you know, and then you do that with the other spouse and then you bring them together. And I would say that uh, a lot of therapists that have been part of the trials for couples, MDMA couples therapy, will sit there and say, it's not quite as effective as it is for trauma, 
but they would say in about 68%, um, it improves relationships with, within a four treatment setup. So that's a higher percentage than pretty much, you know, if you look at therapy, it's 50-50 when it comes to couples therapy. So 68% is better, but it's not as high as it is for trauma. And also keep in mind that- Is it even 50-50 for, I'm sorry. Well, okay, that's that's exactly what um, uh, the DSM, and that's exactly what the psychiatrists and the psychologists will tell you. So I want you to realize that's the information out there. Oh, yeah, I know. Okay, so- um, uh, a lot of therapists that refer for us, they would sit there and go, nope, you need these. And nope, I, I haven't, haven't been able to do anything with these. And so, you know, have at it. And I would say there is good success with MDMA, but I would not say it's quite as high as it is for PTSD. Mm-hmm. And just to make it clear, as Teresa has pointed out to me, and it's very important to realize that success doesn't always mean that they come together and stay together. Sometimes it's like often they're in the process of having a lot of ish- issues. Is to be happy. Is to be happy with their decision, whatever it is. So to live. And wouldn't you agree? It's it's to be to be content with what is and what's going on. Not necessarily. Maybe they weren't. Maybe you know being together is or is not the right thing. Can you, you have any comments on that? Or? Yeah, I do. But one of the things that when when you talk about success with couples therapy. It's when both of the partners say, yes, it's best that we separate mm-hmm. and we're both good with it. Or yes, we have worked this out and okay. we're staying together. So success looks like both partners feel the exact same way about the solution. Mm-hmm. That's what success looks like when you're dealing with the t- statistics for this kind of therapy. So one partner might say, I thought it was amazing. I got really clear. This is what I want to do. And the other partner's going like, this is a freaking nightmare. I thought this, you know. And so I want you to realize then that's not considered success. One person might say, I got really clear and I know this is exactly what I want. And I've just never been able to say this or whatever. But the other person is like, "Uh, I wish to God you'd never said that. And, you know, (laughs) this is not what I want. So that would be considered not successful. (laughs) I'm just trying to let you know this is how all that rolls. When you have somebody for an intake and you prep them for the first time that they're going to come in and and either use MDMA or anything else, what do you tell them to do for diet, sleep, et cetera, before they come in to get the most out of their experience? It is very important. Yeah. So, um, so we, so that's where we are, the alcohol and cannabis police. We tell them not to utilize those substances for 48 hours ahead of time. Mm -hmm. The reason we do is that, um, nine out of 10 times, if you've utilized those substances within 48 hours of your treatment, you will experience nausea. Most people do not like nausea. We can treat nausea, but usually the treatment for nausea is people have cotton mouth or then they're sleepy. And I mean, there's a lot of, there can be side effects. Um, one thing that's nice about working with injectable medicines, as you all know, is things are instantaneous. So Mm -hmm. someone doesn't have to go to an ayahuasca retreat and say, yeah, I was throwing up for hours or I was, you know, this, I had diarrhea over this, whatever happens within five minutes, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. So it's very easily treatable. Um, and that can be, you know, very, uh, comforting for a lot of people, but, um, we definitely talk about that. We talk about 
how they need to be NPO. For those of you who don't know what that means, it's uh, we don't want people to eat for eight hours before a treatment. Uh, since these treatments are extremely stimulating, we always do them in the morning. So when people talk about great ayahuasca journeys at night and you know, they stay up all night and then they sleep all day, um, most people don't function that way. If you are, if you work at night, um, we might treat you in the afternoon. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Knowing that this, but otherwise, uh, most of our morning treatments, same thing. People don't eat overnight. And so um, it's a great way. They hydrate really well in the morning. So we have them take an electrolyte drink. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we don't give them Pediasure. We don't give them any crap that a lot of times they give you at surgery centers. Sorry. Uh, I apologize for any of those. <laughs> no, lists, that's but right. When hey, you look at speaking, the, yeah. the sugar drink and when you look at uh, all the crap that's in that ice, and I looked at mine before I had a hip replacement surgery, I'm like, I'm not drinking that crap. Good no on way. you. And so um, you can provide, so you want to provide them because um, they will not be drinking anything for, um, they end up taking a beta blocker typically an hour before their treatment. Mm-hmm. And um, if they- uh, This is, take, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. This is strictly with ayahuasca or is this protocol no, for everything? This is protocol for almost everything. Okay. For, Realize whether us. you're dealing with MDMA or whether you're dealing with ketamine or whether you're dealing with um, psilocybin. All of these, all of these are stimulating. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so all of them have a similar effect. They have a similar effect on the body. So can you imagine, imagine, you know, Eric, if your heart rate is at 120 because you've just taken, you know, equivalent of 180 milligrams of MDMA and your heart rate is going wild. Can you imagine being calm and like, so, okay, so how do I feel about this? The answer is no. Your, your body's saying, um, uh, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. And you've got your fight or flight status. So I want to calm the body down. I want the body to go, my heart rate's at 68 68 beats a minute. I'm calm. I'm cool, collected. If my blood pressure's up, I've given you something for your blood pressure. Works really quickly. And guess what? Everything's nice and calm. When the body's calm, you can soar. When the body is in um, a flight mode or a protective mode, you're going to struggle with the experience. And so we have all the abilities to not make someone struggle with the experience. As you you imagine with, uh, I love having an anesthesia provider. This is awesome (laughs) because you're going, yeah, yeah, because we do this. That's what we do in the recovery room. Well, actually, I got a technical question for you uh, concerning everything she just laid out. Uh, You mentioned uh, treating uh, nausea, vomiting, stuff like that. Do do you all ever use Zofran? We have. It's not surprisingly... It's not, it's not it doesn't seem to be the best. Well, was, promethazine. Promethazine is the absolute. I was we've also discovered say. something very interesting. You know what? A, a prepotent. Okay. It's a newer, newer, that, that seems to diminish the But it the diminishes MDMA. the effect of MDMA. Well, yeah, so I was, so just incidentally, no one is, doesn't you heard it here. No one else is going to tell you that, but it does. It, it reduces significantly the, because it works, it works somehow on serotonin and it's a, uh, well, that's why I was curious about Zofran because it has a it affinity for right. uh, 5 it, HT3, right. but almost specifically. So I didn't know if since, yeah. you, since we're it, using so much serotonin with these psychedelics, it's probably yeah. overpowering. It's a, it's a great question. Zofran. And I, Correct. I, we did not, we've not perceived that Zofran reduces the experience, but it doesn't seem to be the best it at, at reducing treat. nausea as uh, entheogen induced nausea, which we 
you know, some of it's a little still the mystery, just like it is in anesthesia. Yeah. We, we try to do our best. We try to prevent it. We try to treat it, and then we treat it again if it's going if it happens. We haven't totally figured it out, but we've because these these experiences we've gotten them down to a pretty narrow band of time. And if you're nauseated for thirty that thirty minutes, that's thirty minutes. It's probably part of your peak experience. You're not, you know, nausea will take you right out of of, of things as well the, the tachycardia. So we don't want to waste any of your time. It's the biggest complaint in anesthesia yeah. period anyway. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So right. And so you can you imagine giving someone something orally and then just waiting for it to work? Tell me when you get sleepy. <laughs> yeah, especially while you're tell, throwing up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tell tell me when you're I just gave you this and you're throwing up. Tell me when your nausea passes. You know, and they're gonna just love the the butt pill, right? So needless to say, um injectable is the way to go. Sure. And Injectable also reduces the time frame of experiences, as you all know, and it also helps you control dosing so that if it isn't the right dose, you can add, and um, that way you take things very safely and um, determine what's best for. So you truly are doing anesthesia. I mean, this is exactly what Eric does with my patients. It's absolutely, and then mention, and Eric, you'll um, appreciate this. The term, what what does multimodal mean to you? Oh, goodness gracious, a bunch of different avenues, right? Right, exactly. And that's that's exactly what, what if someone told you, you get to choose fentanyl, midazolam, profol, or, or dexmedetomidine, you'd be going, oh, gee, I only get one? It's yeah. Like, uh, I kind of like them all because things are, you know, what we call balanced. There's a balance in there. This is balanced, this and that. We use a little bit of this and a little bit of that, a little of this to augment that and a little bit of, right. so this, it's not, it's, I don't think, you know, I'm not, we, we're not the first people to think of this, but it's just something that's we found to be very, very effective, very, very effective. Because just like we have in anesthesia, we have a whole drawer full of our goodies here. We can have a little of this and a little of this and add medications to do a certain to achieve a certain thing based on the anticipated pain at the end of the surgery, based on the status. Where are you in the surgery? Does the sur surgeon need more uh, muscle relaxant or not? Is the blood pressure up or down? And you know, is the patient moving or not? And so forth. We have it's. There's, there are analogies for that for the entheogenic world, too. So. When you go to these conferences, the, the one that you went to at Denver or MAPS or whatever, in the audience, how many other people have this level of knowledge and a background in medicine oh, to small? be able to have this kind of conversation? Small. Yeah. That's why I was thinking. There are a lot of really, like, first points, of all, they're really, a lot one of, of your first, I want to point out that too. MAPS, there's some incredible, there's so many incredible people. We know a little of a lot of things that, we've mixed put together but i don't want to at all diminish first of all the the great minds that are out there we are just we're just piggybacking off of some incredible incredible people plus a lot of folks that aren't are just not even recognized they're just basic home scientists and home so-called psychonauts this is where this is where the action really happens we have we have anecdotes you have reddit and different things online it is as silly as that sounds that is where things happen and that's where People share share information. So, and in addition, just to throw in, in case everybody gets the wrong idea, we, as far as mental health professionals, uh, therapists, and psychiatrists, we we have such respect for them. We want to work with them 100%. We want people to, you know, I to say, hey, how can how can we work together to do? Because you know, we're not totally experts in the strictly in the psych in psychiatric field. We're not. We're, we have a little bit of this knowledge and that, and so. To work together with, and that's what we do when we get referrals from these professionals. We we give them a report. 
just like you would if you sent someone for surgery. You'd say, hey, I want to see your op report. Hey, how'd it go? And, and so forth. We work that in that way. So we're, we're, never, we're not trying to take anyone's job. We want to treat and get the, you know, get the heck out of there. So we want to do our job just like surgeons. And, and theogenic therapy has often been um, kind of related to the surgical approach because what happens in surgery, hopefully, you have something done and you get out of there and you fix a condition versus like, oh, you have a hernia. We'll just put this brace on you. We'll give you this binder for the neck for the rest of your life. We'll, we'll just fix I'll the give you an SSRI so you just don't worry yeah, about it. That's as much. exactly right. So, this is, they really are the kind of the surgical approach. But, um, but I will with, say, surgeons are happy with that. They don't want to see their patient all the time, do they? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say that do uh, surgery and get out of there. At MAP Science, um, this last, there are a tremendous amount of researchers that are doing brilliant work. Yeah. And There's they so do know a lot of these nuanced aspects. So I would tell you the average practitioner probably does not, mm -hmm. but uh, some of the researchers uh, mm -hmm. know a tremendous amount. And um, when they make information available to start a clinical trial, they have a lot of information. And so there are some, I, I probably found the most excellent people ever at that conference. Whereas I would say with most psychedelic conferences, you're getting with people who are talking about their experiences or they're talking about a lot of nuanced aspects. They're not talking about them in terms of clinical and they're not talking about them in terms of results. What are the actual results? This, uh, there, you really saw a lot of that. And we're able, really we're not, we're only able to do what we do because of these people. So mm -hmm. it's totally, we're totally, I mean, gr gratitude is just unbelievable to the people that have done, done the work over the years and the hardships they've endured trying to sometimes doing things in a clandestine and other, other ways. And sometimes having to, oh, having to endure the, the, the DEA and the FDA to try to do things in a legal way in a whole, in a whole situation where it's almost impossible to do, you know, research with schedule one drugs. So the people that have done this, like Rick Doblin, oh my gosh, that guy, he deserves a something. <laughs> no. What's that? Well, he, he does one name. now too, but Rick, Rick Doblin is head of MAPS. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's yes. been on he's he's been Rogan, Rogan a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, he's, he has done everything well. just absolutely perfect because he has everybody working against him. He has the entire government working, saying, I want to find one tiny way to not approve MDMA. And so he's done everything absolutely perfect. He's got more therapists than he needs. He says, you gotta have two, you know, male and female therapists, you gotta have eight hours. That's a little tough, but he's got everything done in such a way that when he, and he's got results. We just, he just finished, we just finished the second of the two phase three trials that are required to get FDA to approve things. You're he, involved in these no, trials? No, I'm, we're, I'm not, I'm saying we as in, I'm, you know, the, 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 the collective, uh, the collective group of theogenic therapists. But here's what's fascinating is this was a drug that was already effective and legal and he's having to totally redone it, do it over. We got a COVID vaccine approved in six months. <laughs> he's worked for three, 30 years and spent $300 million in this just to get this thing. And he's had times when the whole, everything, they, they did everything they could to stall. They said, oh, we want you to have not only two therapists, we want you to have an MD and that MD has to have a PhD. Oh, he's had that, that <laughs> level. I'm not kidding. That level, they eventually got rid of that. But that's an example of what people have done along the way to thwart his his efforts. And he, you know, he's stuck with it. And you know, I hope he will. Really, we should. There's yeah. a huge debt of gratitude. 
Toward sure. Jesus Man and plenty of others. There's a lot of people that have um, done a tremendous amount of research, whether it's Michael Mithover uh, and also yeah. and his wife have done a tremendous amount uh, with They Rick. did an awful lot of the MAPS clinical trials. Well, it's so. the epitome of altruism. I mean, that's really putting a lot on the line and dedicating a lot of your life to really help everyone. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's got to be a labor of love in that, you know, because mm -hmm. so. I ain't making money on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the barrier is for people who are in psych, psychologists and psychiatrists to basically see what's happening in MAPS yeah. and these avenues and to kind of break down this barrier? Is it is it easier for someone who's in private practice and maybe harder for someone who's in institutional or vice versa? Or what do you... What do you think that it is with those elements of profession in medicine to get in? So, um, can you use just anything to put somebody under? Uh, on the record? Uh, no. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, as licensed practitioners, mm -hmm. um, licensed practitioners have to become professional coaches to do this work. Oh. Why do you think I said I'm a mind medicine gotcha. coach? So they basically say, I'm not taking you as a licensed person. I'm taking you as this because otherwise I can lose my license because this isn't legal yet. Yes, it's approved all the trials, but it isn't legal yet. Mm. Or yes, it's being used all over the world. Um, all these drugs are approved on both sides of us, Canada. Mexico, Mexico and things Europe, like that, but but definitely Australia, not here. You know, everywhere. Australia approved MDMA in June of this year, mm. so it's available at every ketamine clinic. Uh, you can get MDMA, and you can get it in injectable form, and you can do it in a short time frame. And MDMA and ketamine is a blissful combination. I highly recommend um, that multimodal approach. And they know that too. And they're seeing a tremendous amount of results. And we could be doing that here. Mm -hmm. And that infrastructure is already set up. And ketamine providers know exactly how to treat all of these aspects. So they are, are set up and ready to go. Okay. They just need approval. So I would say that there's been a lot of barriers. And there's a lot of people that would say, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. So that's a great question. And it is hard. It is difficult. And we have, yeah, is the, the, how do we bridge that? And that's one of the things we've kind of see as one of our duties is obviously to help people, but also as I don't know a lot of medical doctors that are actually in that, in this space, there are a lot of people that that are just scientists and such. So I'd like to help the medical community as well as others see you know, how, how can I, you, at some point you're either going to be, a, you're going to either treat with it or you're going to refer to someone who does, or you're going to get the treatment. We fi I figure those three categories pretty well cover, but you need to know, wouldn't it be nice to know how that enough to be able to be competent in making that decision as a referrer or a therapist or a, a treating, treating uh, clinician or as a, potentially as a patient. And by the way, we talk about people as patients or clients, these meds are l wonderful and lovely, not only for people with like, maybe they've got some really serious issues, but it helps people with just, you know, that are generally feel like they're doing okay, do a little more, do a little more okay. And that's, 
a wonderful thing. You don't see that. I want to do more. Other, okay. <laughs> I, would, I would say Ken is an exception. Ken, you need, but you'd fit into the other <laughs> we'll I want more. You. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll still take you. You know, we'll do it. We'll do an intake. I've heard it in, we'll enhances ping pong. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I have, um, I have talked about this stuff with patients. I've sure. talked about it with colleagues. Yeah. Be under the guise of Johns Hopkins doing this research sure. and stuff. Paul it's cool. And I, you are probably, both of you, I'm sure, are not naive to this. I am blown away by the cognitive dissonance of shutting down that topic of anything like this with my colleagues, where I'm like, what are we doing putting this person on six various SSRIs, yeah. I'm, I'm antipsychotics, you. pain yeah. meds? And I'm like, if I bring it up, they're like, oh my God, no, are you, are you insane? Literally, I get, I mean, this is how far the conversation goes. It's just stone walls. That's correct. And look at why patients won't list that, you know, because, I, I, you know, have you done any other psychedelic drugs? Have you ever, and if you list all these things, they, they frequently they'll go, so is this the real answer or is this this because I don't want to get chastised? And people don't tell their doctors if they use cannabis or because, well, we're in Texas and that's not legal unless it's medical cannabis. And let me see your medical cannabis card, which, by the way, he's a medical cannabis provider. But needless to say, I want you to realize what happens is then you have people that uh, lie about things mm -hmm. and then don't tell the very people that might be able to help them or to say, I don't know much about that. And because it's not my scope of practice, but I happen to know somebody that does, I'd like to refer you out and refer them to somebody who says, hmm, I can determine whether or not you'd be a good candidate for this or that medicine or this or that treatment. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that now. Wouldn't and, it be wonderful if it could be total honesty? And then what would happen with very quickly, we'd have all the data to say, it's just fine that you did, you've done all these drugs and had all these things because that's really... There's not much, you know, we'd see, you know, they don't, they honestly, all these things, they, they really don't interfere with anesthesia, but people aren't going, I would tell people, don't tell people, don't tell your provider this because they're going to go, they're going to Google it and go nuts over something. And they're going to say, oh, this person's a, you know, you know, this is drug abuse and this is this, it's, you know, although our whole concept of drug use has been stigmatized and, and I realize, you know, there's, there's what you might call, uh, um, there's drug use that is responsible and not quite so responsible. In certain ways, but it's um, we have we're you know we have to hide these things rather than um, being able to be be open and free about them and 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 collect the data that will show. I believe that they, it's just human nature. We want to alter our consciousness. This is not something we're going to change this this year or last year. It's something that's been going on for tens of thousands, of hundred thousand years with humans. But what so, about reefer madness? Oh yeah, that's it. I don't ever. Have you actually seen that? Have you seen you that? You should actually see it. So I mean, you should sit down and watch it. It all stems from that. It is trying well, to shut it, everything down. It all stems from the all the nonsense um, in around 1970, and they thought you know the, the end justifies the means. We'll totally lie. All those things you heard about LSD that was the, we took. They took a hamster fetus and showed that this is a morphed uh, human fetus on LSD. They had a, they had a guy who's an ophthalmologist who admitted. That he he said, oh, I lied about these people going out and staring at the sun and going going blind because I you needed a story to tell college students about how you know whatever is my job. So all it's these insane. things were nonsense. Then we gave it to you know don't get me started about MK Ultra and the CIA. We gave oh, yeah. it to that's a whole nother 
topic. You know, it was given by our government said, oh, this is this might be a, this might be a, a we can weaponize it. Yeah, we can put an aerosol it. on <laughs> as we have have them all experiencing LSD from aerosol and not knowing what's going on. Mm. So, um, I would like to think how how much it would be accepted if the doctors that are denying it now tried a protected it would, guided it would absolutely journey. happen no, let me tell you this is a great okay this is a great great story so i'm we're going to maps they were just so excited uh, i wish i could show you the, the photo of Teresa going we're here look at all these, these crazy people like us. <laughs> these are peeps man <laughs> so so i'm standing in line and um so uh former governor of Rick Perry, Rick Perry uh, mm -hmm. is standing in line ahead of me. It's like, that's Rick Perry. Yeah. So I said, hey, another Texan up there. And he, we talked for, for a while, and he told me his entire story. And he was actually one of the two, including Rick Dobbin, keynote speakers for the MAPS, psychedelic science sort of thing. And he honestly was probably, if there's a way, you could probably pull it up on YouTube. Wow. But hearing yeah. him, this is the perfect example of what you just said. Hearing a guy, he, as he said, he's very humorous and a great speaker, but he says, here I am, a knuckle dragon Republican, uh, and I saw what it did to. And he'll. This is open. I, we, first of all, I want to throw in something that's very important. We're always we're strictly private about. We don't tell stories about people that would reveal their identity. Sure, HIPAA sure. privacy. Yeah. So I can tell you this because um, uh, Marcus Luttrell, the famed um, uh, SEAL from uh, what's this? What's the movie? Um, Lone, Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Yeah. He received received this treatment while he was staying with Rick Perry in, in Austin, he was at his wits end and he saw him be turned around. And Rick is like, what is this? He, he took Ibogaine as it turns out, which is a, it's a, which, brutal, that's a hard one, right? It's a hard one, but it, it works. So anyway, long story short, here it is just seeing him have some experiencing someone that he had really bonded with. It's, it allowed him to totally change his mind about it, such that he's, here he is giving the open, the keynote um, the keynote speech at Maps for this last year. So that was really wonderful to see that. And that's but it, to to answer your question, that's a long answer. But yes, absolutely, you couldn't take these meds and say, you know, there's something here. We owe it to humanity. And that's amazing. It is. It is amazing. Hold You're the right. fort. I'm going to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. and, okay. And then okay. we're going to play rapid patient trials. Okay. I'm going to walk. Okay. In Whatever that means. Different problem. Okay. We could, perfect. I bet we'll do it. When I hold the four down, do we keep talking or yeah. do we wait for you? Okay. okay. Hey. So uh, real quick before I get into, because actually one of the things I wanted to ask about was involving patients. So yeah, we'll talk about Ken while he's gone. He loves this part. <laughs> one of the things I was curious for y'all to describe in your words, you mentioned ayahuasca earlier. So um, it seems that DMT itself, DMT vape, uh, vape pens and and different types of delivery systems have become quite popular. Mm -hmm. Kind of describe maybe for people who don't quite know the difference between why ayahuasca requires two components and then what DMT pins and these availables are doing now. And then how do either of those possibly fit into your kind of therapy? I'm going to go with this. This is my kind of exactly. deal here. But okay, so DMT is um, dimethyltryptamine. It's the tryptamine that's not substituted. This may be TMI, but I'm just going to say for the for the chemical geeks out here, you put a hydroxyl group on the four position of the indole, and you get psilocybin. You put a methoxy, <laughs> you put a methoxy group on the there's going to be a end test about this later on. DMT, the so-called toad, you know, the toad medicine. You put you can put various things on that molecule. You can monomethylate the nitrogen or not. 
and you can put things on what's called the alpha carbon and do very a variety of things. But I'm not going to- I like everything get, you're saying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we're not going to get into that right now. But plain DMT is something that people, they do vaporize it and smoke it. But you're right. It's also given as the, it is the active alkaloid, so to speak, of an ayahuasca experience. But because our gut has a defense, our gut has a defense for uh, tryptamines because what if every time we ate something, it we you know probably from an evolutionary point of view, we got a, a trip or an experience we you know we wouldn't do well. So somewhere along the line, we evolved uh, monoamine oxidase uh, in our gut. It's a, it's an enzyme that tears up those things, and it does a great job because you can take a ton of DMT and orally and have no effect. But if you add this an MAOI, a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, to that oral concoction. You get you can get the, the the DMT is absorbed, and so that's the essence of a of a an ayahuasca trip. Is you you take a now how how they figured this out five thousand years ago in a jungle they mix a couple of vines and roots. Most of the alkaloid active alkaloids are are actually the root come from the root bark of various things, and then there's a vine that has some of these other things, which are what are called beta beta carbolines, which are often um, the MAOI, MAOIs. Now there is also a combination, which I would um, recommend as an alternative for the, uh, I'm just gonna throw it out here, which is the so-called pharmawaska, which is the pharmaceutical combination of purified synthetic DMT and, mm -hmm. and a, an actual pill that is an MAOI. And it's not just any MAOI, you have to have, there's type, type one and, and two, and rather than getting into too many detail, I'll tell you the, the one that's used is called meclobamide. So it's typically 300 milligrams taken an hour before the DMT and then an appropriate dose of DMT, which can be anywhere from 25 milligrams up to 50 is a pretty hefty, serious dose. And beyond that, you're, you're having At least really... as we understand from Reddit. Yeah, that's just what we hear. Yeah, that's what I'm I just getting into the no. dosages. Like, no, honestly, I haven't tried, it, but it is, it is, it is. <laughs> I tell you, that I'm is. Not. I love that. I'm glad you laughed at that. It's like, have you my with that? No, it's like, it's no, exactly it's it's, it's this it's amount like, of milligrams or this. Like, but it I is because I've it. wondered that. And I have to give credit to Hamilton Morris, the, one of my my favorite guys on the, from the chemistry point of view, who has uh, detailed detailed that. I haven't seen it detailed as far as the exact numbers, but uh, he is. He had that on one of his podcasts, so I was like, "Aha, there are the numbers." So I can at least feel like I can quote quote him on that because he's a really good chemist. So vape and inhaled DMT, though they're kind of, if I understand it correctly, sure. they're kind of getting around needing the MAO uh, I because you're inhaling it Absolutely. and you're getting sure it's like you know no first pass metabolism and it's going everywhere. Exactly. So it's the same. Sorry. It's a about half that dose, twenty five to thirty five milligrams. But it also lasts very, much shorter. Yeah, yeah so an ayahuasca experience is going to be hours, maybe even exactly. a day, right? And six, then six, a vape is going to be, what, 15, minutes, 20 minutes? 15, 20 yeah. minutes. It's a very, very short. And also very interesting. I don't know, and I can't say that I know enough to totally co uh, comment on this, but um, from what I hear, the DMT experience is, visually, it's unbelievable. But experientially, as far as, wow, did you did you get some in some mystical experience? It's you don't, you don't really, you don't really seem to, would you agree? They don't, people, people don't come out of it going, oh, I have this, you know, a really heart opening experience. It's, it's a, it's like going on a. Or what I would say is, um, a, not to, wow, that was a, a wild ride. It was right. visually unbelievably appealing, but mm, as I come back to my life, what do I do with it? What did I see that mm, mm. provides any 
insider perspective on what I should do about this. Now, there may be others so, that just, I'm, there probably are. I mean, this is just very, based on very limited, you know, experience with a few. With a now, 5-MeO DMT. That's a little different. That's a little different. It's, we call that the oneness medicine. And so you would say that um, whether that's through bufo venom, which is toad venom, which again, you have to ask, hmm, how did we decide that the venom in toads like this? Oh, we could smoke this and have this amazing experience. Um, we all have mentioned this with like, going, hmm, there's a show uh, that was on HBO. It's called Raised by Wolves. And there's a part of me that always says, hmm. You kind of almost have to believe like this was downloaded into some kind of other biological AI that suddenly educated this whole generation of this because I don't think you would find that. I don't think the average human would go, I'll bet that toad, if I squeeze their glands, you know, they, they only come out once a year to mate and they come out at night for two weeks out of the year in the snoring desert and I squeeze that, I'm going to get high from that. I don't think I'm so. so I'm here to tell you that one it. is pretty far-fetched, you know. Um, so then I'd have to go, that's when maybe this view is a little bit different. But 5-MeO-DMT, you can do synthetic or you can do, um, which synthetic saves all the toads, which there's an awful lot of people hunting. And once you take a toad from its environment, just so you know, uh, it grows up and mates and it stays in the same environment. They stay underground all but two weeks out of the year. Mm. And so when they cannot find their original environment, they die. Mm. So it's kind of like a whale that mates for life. And if their mate dies, they are really sad so the and they go back and forth. You're going to use 5-MEO so. and use the synthetic. It's cheap. It's available. So uh, we are a believer in that. Whatever your audience does or doesn't want to do, but... We would say the synthetic version um, is just as effective. Um, it's more controllable. You can do a, a more controllable dose. Yeah, you know you exactly can, what the milligram uh, is, whereas the venom might be a third to, I don't know, third to a quarter might be the active alkaloid, or you mm -hmm. might get some that are more more potent and less. Where's the? And so just why... You know, a dose of psilocybin costs $7,000 for research is, can you imagine if you're doing clinical trials, wait a minute, uh, how much, how much baocystin, how much psilocybin, how much psilocin is in this mushroom? And then we have to etch that out and we have to sit there and quantify that so that when we're giving this dose to oh, somebody, wow. we make sure everybody gets the exact same uh -huh. of this, this, and this, that we're saying the same thing. Now, you know this in herbal products with Atrantil. No different than someone say, well, why did you decide on this many milligrams of peppermint or this many milligrams of quebracho? Or what made you decide this? And well, how do you know that this is the same amount in every batch? How do you know that this herb isn't stronger? How do you know the soil that this wasn't grown mm -hmm. in, that it has more of this or this or this? So why do you think supplements are not controlled by the FDA? Well, if you want Variability. the FDA to cover a drug, then it has to be the same every time. So when you are dealing with a synthetic version, no different than like a 4-ACO, you can, you can measure that. And 5-MEO, you can get the exact same dosing so that you know, oh, it takes between this many milligrams and this many milligrams for somebody to have this experience. And you know exactly what that is. 
So it's a lot easier if you are in the clinical profession to say, hmm, this is much easier when you're doing a vape pen. You know, is it mixed with glycerol? Is it with this? Hey, where did you get that? What is the dosing? How many milligrams are in this? And wait, how much, how, is that a huge pull that you're taking on? Is it a small pull? What are you getting? And so naturally, since we are much more into precision. exact and precision, mm -hmm. uh, that's something that doesn't work for us. I'm not saying that uh, somebody should or should not try sure. it. No. I'm just saying it's generally, that. By the way, a huge safety hard. factor here too. So we're not saying trying to so-called dis these other these other met methods of administration. We're just saying, you know, in anesthesia, you want your drugs. I want to know exactly that there's enough weird stuff that happens in anesthesia, right? You don't want to wonder, well, that might just spin a bad batch of profile. We'll never know. You know, you want to know that it's always that your profile is always this. Your Vecuronium is this. You don't want to be going, well, so I hear that these, some batches are, you have to shake it, up, shake it up a little more. For, you know, you just don't want to, you don't want to know, you want to know that you're dealing with pure, a pure product because there's enough uncertainty in research and day-to-day -day patient variability. You don't want to have to wonder about your medications. Well, more to your point, you talked about injectables. Actually, I, I think that's a really good point and I hadn't considered it till you laid out all the variables, but, uh, inhaling something there's dead airspace and for somebody else who's got copd or something else like that you're going to have a different level of uptake yeah. simply because of the movement of air the elasticity of the lung and so you would get that level of variability if when you said how much of a pool did you get well how much of it did you even pull into you know the fourth stage of your lung you don't really Welcome know to my world yeah <laughs> interesting so so patience Let's play a little game. Okay. Um, we'll let Rachel develop the patient. To, uh, what age is the patient, Rachel? 53-year-old man or woman. Woman that has been seeing doctors and what trauma did they experience at any time of their life? Or symptoms. Maybe or symptoms. Uh -oh. Anxiety, panic attacks. And they've been told that they have irritable bowel. They, somebody listened to this podcast and said, you know what? I think that you should go see somebody. Where does, what is the path of that patient with you two? So, uh, usually, um, all of our patients or clients, um, all come from referral. So we kind of know the referring source. Mm -hmm. And so First thing we do is we do an intake. So they fill out an intake. And from that, we determine hmm, what is it they want to get from the experience? What is it that they're on? What is their lifestyle like? And are they treatable? Are they easily treatable? Can I stop you at what is it that they want to get from the experience? Because that's if the I'm first, naive to it, I don't know what I want from it. Um, and it's interesting because people say, well, can someone just come and like, I have clients that say, okay, I'm better. I'm fine. But can I just come for fun? Can I just come because like, can I come in three months and just have an enjoyable experience? And I go, well, sure. And they're going like, that's okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cause like nothing's wrong, but this, and so you can go for that. But most people, when they see someone and they pay for a service, usually something is wrong. 
there's usually something that they want to get for it. So how many people take a Trantil or even know about it from natural grocers, which is a great place to buy it. Um, anyways, I'm putting a plug in. I love that store. Dude, <laughs> we gotta like uh, so give her an affiliate code so when everybody's so, like tripping, she can be so, like, "You need yeah. natural too. Right, uh, Go so, to natural grocers." Anyways, but um, so when you are doing that, most people are saying, "Oh, it can help with bloating, or it can help with." No, there's there's something that says it can you know can ease symptoms, or it can do this. Well, so most people want to get something from something. So I either want to relieve my anxiety. I want to um, get over my sexual trauma. I want to determine whether or not I should stay married to this person. I, um, I want to know how to help my daughter who's been sexually molested by her coach. And she's having difficulty with this and she's had two suicide attempts. When you say things like that, that's trauma. That's trauma. Multi generational trauma, right there. Just saying it made my hairs on my arms stand up. And you realize that we treat so many teenagers who have had serious, who have had multiple suicide attempts, um, almost, almost successful. All of them hospitalized. All of them inpatient stays. And um, when people say, "Well," Um, I've had like, you know, we ask, have you ever had suicide thoughts? And almost all the time people say, by the time I do an intake, I go, really? You've never thought of just, I mean, I said, it sounds like this and this and that. So it sounds pretty shitty. So really, you've never thought of just, that's it. Well, all right. I've thought of it. Yes. But I mean, you know, I have kids or I can't do this to such and such or whatever. And I go, okay, that's more realistic. So let's tell me about, you ask an awful lot of questions where you get to the core of things, or you look at someone and say, really, it looks to me like, you know, you have high blood pressure, you know, you're really red in the face, or you've got this, or what are your testosterone levels, or what's, I mean, so when you look at certain things, there's a lot of things. After the the written intake, then we do an hour video to go over it. So continue. I just want to make that clear. Our so video of like an, an hour to an hour and a half video yes. intake just to mm. quantify. And, and we go over that. We go, Oh, well, this is how you answered. So just FYI. Oh, that's okay. You're asking about the process. So I got yeah, you. go mm. ahead. Go ahead. Teresa. That's fine. And the reason why you have to, I mean, imagine someone fills out a form at your office and you look at that form and then they come in and um, what if they listed their weight at 130 and you look at them and go well, like, hmm, when? so you might have gone like did you fill this out a year ago and then now you came in i mean like what what happened here okay so you realize that so do people always tell the truth on their intakes on their they supposed? never tell the truth literally never <laughs> you know and I mean, I don't tell the truth on my intakes <laughs> when I go to the, I saw the dermatologist this morning and I'm just like, eh, no drink. No. <laughs> so it does help so. to see with a video. You can see if someone's just, we picked up people that are slightly on the autistic spectrum and they, that's a whole nother story, but they respond quite a bit differently, quite a bit differently to, to this kind of therapy. And you can kind of oh. pick up on, oh, like yeah. you pick up yeah. on the eye contact and, and they'll you know, sit there and like say, this. oh, I want to do MDMA. And I go, you're on the spectrum. And they're like, I didn't list that. And I go, it's pretty obvious. And I said, so what? And they're going like, mm. so you won't respond well to that. Oh. But you will do very well with ketamine. And I'll, you know, you, you'll indicate certain things and say, 
here's what you'll respond well to. Here's what you won't. Mm. And they'll go, oh, well, I didn't know that. And I'll go, mm-hmm. so here's what you can expect from this or this or this. Here's what this will or will not get you. Or here's what I can treat you with with this. And when you look at those things, then someone has an idea of what you can and can't do for them. And that's really important because some people will think, um, wow, I'm going to, you know, a friend of mine referred me or my therapist and this person, they had two treatments and they're completely, they're they're totally done. Exactly. And then they think that you'll be able to do the same thing and maybe you can, and maybe you can't. And so you have to manage those expectations. (laughs) I have this image of this actually becoming successful and becoming normal and then having people come in and saying the exact thing to get the exact mm-hmm. treatment that they want. You know, That's I go, exactly right. I go to Teresa and I'm just like, nope. I'm on the spectrum taking Zofran, a little bit of SSRIs should land me right nice in that DMT pile. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so. Um, and that's where I, 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 I sit and go, what do you want from the experience? We do have people sometimes saying, I, I wanted to try this. And sometimes we can, we can explain why that might, may or may not be the best, mm-hmm. the best option. And sometimes we can oblige them and sometimes not. Or someone's read something on Reddit or they've watched a YouTube video or I listened to, well, I, I, I want to do psilocybin. I said, okay, well, this, I said, what do you know about this? And you'll find that, um, some of their information is very valid and some of it you're going like, what did you listen to? Um, no, that's not how that works at all. Or, um, wait, if you want to do that, I can refer out to that. Okay. So, um, so that's why so, all this stuff is really important well, to I, figure out for I her. Just, yeah. I, I just want to ask this one because the reason why I brought the patient up is that there is, depending on what the intake is, depending on what people, their history and everything it is, very different than the person that says, I went to Peru and I did this one ayahuasca thing. And you guys use multimodal things and you use things. So every single treatment could potentially be uniquely different for everybody, correct? That's correct. Right. And even the same person given the same thing. It's like, just like with anesthesia, you think, oh, you got this. Like, why did I give you the exact same thing for the... This one took your- five milligrams to put put out with Medea's lamb and this one, two, and they were gone. You yeah. know, I mean, it, and it's just like that. And it's the same thing when you determine dosing for somebody and then you um, determine, you know, a weight, Um, you know, it has nothing to do with body weight. Mm -hmm. Um, If people are control freaks and there's a lot of those out there. So, you know, if you take them too high on a certain journey that they will resist it and they will feel completely out of control. So you purposely don't take them there. You take them to a certain point and they go, oh, that was nice. Or that was mm. this, or that was that. Or I really saw this, or I, I see that I'm really rigid about this or whatever. And you realize that um, that is now coming up in psychedelic science is that dosing is very dependent on the level of control issues that your patient has. Um, can you imagine someone who's, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm nervous about this clone. I, I mean, hold on. You need to know that I'm taking this and this, well, hold on, wait, oh, oh, I, I don't, I don't respond, but I get so nauseous afterwards. I mean, do you see, they just go on and on and you're just like, oh God, this is going to take a lot. Okay. And you automatically know 
this is completely different than someone who goes, hey, how's it going? Great. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you're, and you're checking this. Yeah, you're here for this. And you're here to have this procedure, right? And you're this. And I understand you're on this. Then. Okay, great. Any questions of me? Nope. Thanks a lot. Well, that one's a lot easier than the next one because you're managing in real time. And, but when you've got somebody who's right up front, I'm here and you got to take them here just to start. And then now you have to put them under. Yeah, a pre anesthetic uh, uh, <laughs> disposition determines a lot. Yeah. And I know you know sure. the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. It's every day. And it's it really the exact <laughs> same thing with psychedelics. So, and I want you to realize if they come in and they've just driven a car and they've just had a fight with their spouse or their kid didn't show up at school that day or so, and they're like, oh, and they come in this, I sit there, okay, so can, can like, oh, oh, do we need to talk about this first before we do this? In other words, I need to get you to a certain state because if I don't, this is where you're going to go. You're going to bring that anxiety with mm, you. Yeah. And so do I need to give you an anxiolytic before I do mm -hmm. this? Do I need to do, like, where are we on this? Because otherwise... Maybe your clinic sounds fun. Every time I get in a fight with my wife, I'm just going to show up. Teresa, I'm back. <laughs> well, exactly. fix this. <laughs> I want to have y'all back so that we can go through some specific uh, patient journeys. I mean, this is amazing. I did, but for a preface, I mean, I just, this was a lot, a lot of fun. And I want to make sure what, what are the best ways for someone to connect with you in case they need to, they need a referral from y'all so they can get a referral back to you. How, how should people find you? Well, first of all, We've started this a new thing, but we're requiring everyone to have a colonoscopy before that. I love it. Well, so, colonoscopy and, and take out front too. An EGD, an EGD <laughs> is also useful too. And you get a special, when you do them both, it gives us so much information. <laughs> so you really, now you wouldn't understand it. Loving this. Yeah, <laughs> loving it. Really good for Ken. Now I know why you had them. <laughs> well, the government uh, does stuff like that. Why can't we? <laughs> yeah, I get it. So we have emails that we will give you that you can put on this and people can email us for information. Nice. Okay. And we prefer email because we can look that over. And um, so. Show notes. Yeah. We'll definitely have the email down there for everyone to find. Absolutely. So this is, I think, the future of what is going to save literally humanity. If anything does, it needs to be part of it. If not, I, we, we, we frequently look at each other and say, I think we're too late, but let's keep trying. No, 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 no. I think that, yeah. I think you guys, and what I really love is number one, how intelligent both of you are. I mean, you're wicked smart. What we're talking about here is wild. The, the science behind it, I just absolutely love it. We're taking something that was demonized back when well, like the Nixon said, era. This is all based, this is only based on other smart people. I mean, it's just pouring over this stuff and studying it. And, you know, it's been a passion for many years. So, so there's it's not a, like, there's a lot of people that gave us this opportunity. So it's like, I have to be indebted to so many chemists. But and, David is very smart. The, I, I mean, you, you're both extremely smart <laughs> and there's a lot of smart people that did the bench research, but yeah. in addition to being smart, you both have passion and you have guts to break some barriers. Hell yeah. And I want to say thank you for that because this is, I 100% believe that this, I'm just thinking of so many patients sure. that I know that they've got um, pelvic floor dyskinesia due to trauma that we haven't really addressed yet. They've got irritable bowel. They've got different things. There's all kinds of, and the ability to go to a safe place, the ability to have 
side effects controlled, the ability to look at the medicines you're on. You literally have to have this perfect team to pull this shit off. You can't be a shaman wearing a wolf head and doing this. And the fact that an MD with your background being able for the psychotherapy, I mean, it's a perfect marriage here. This is amazing. Yeah, we are a pretty perfect team. Pretty perfect team. So thank you. Thank y'all. This is awesome. Thank y'all so much for uh, joining the Gut Check Project. Be sure to like and share and email these two if you want to learn if a journey is right for you. Yeah. And if you're wondering if it's right for you, if you have anxiety, if you suffer from PTSD, if you're on a bunch of psychiatric medicines, SSRIs, all those things, email them, please. For you. See y'all next time. That's a wrap for this episode of The Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Check.